watch the streams. Ah, hello, hello, Webinots. Welcome to the Web Zone. <coughs> Hi, everybody. Ah, uh, bon voyage. <coughs> <coughs> Welcome to another <coughs> journey on the SS Kush into the depths of consciousness no i'm kidding uh so just so everyone knows uh i have not obviously i'm still uh vibrating at a very high frequency i have been for a while now and i plan on uh just pursuing this as far as it'll go i'm very excited i honestly feel uh at peace in a way i never have felt in my life i genuinely do feel a centeredness that has escaped me uh my entire existence and I'm going to try to keep moving towards it, moving towards this light. Uh, but I'm also going to try to keep you guys from uh, writing me off as a lunatic. So uh, I'm going to try to keep... I'm going to kind of reduce my volume, my complexity of metaphor a little bit. Uh, to talk more like I was on subjects I was talking about before my little uh, incidents. Uh, but in a way that will hopefully be clearer, because it will be informed by this greater understanding. But before I do that, I kind of want to make one last gasp of explaining a concept that is a little more abstract, uh, but that I think could really help people if, if I could get it across. And it's related to something I said on the last stream, the stream I made about Nathan Robinson and about the reality, about... Uh, about Marxism and things like that, and about like you know the value of things like historical materialism and dialectic materialism, and I also spoke about how Twitter cannot uh, allow real dialogue, uh, and I, I I think I made a good I think I made a decent case for that, but I wanted to do one concrete example uh, of this dynamic because I think I have it close I think I have it sketched out. Clearly enough that it can make sense, I think, to anybody. So I'm going to see if I can make this make sense. No, I messed it up already. Damn, never mind. Let me see what you guys are talking about. I might not be able to make this make sense. Why you guys keep asking? I guess I'm just curious. How do you know I haven't been washing the tracksuit? I'm just curious how you know it's not clean. I mean, I haven't been washing it, but part mostly that's because uh, we haven't had a good washing machine situation here, which will be changing now, so I will wash it. I'm just curious why you assume it hasn't been washed. The Michigan State House has been seized by gunmen? Is that true?
Or is that just someone being very hysterical about like a uh, reopened Michigan rally where some hillbillies showed up with machine guns? Or are they actually claimed it? It's protesters. Okay. See, people need to be more specific in their language. Or else their people don't know how to respond when you say something. All right, it sounds like a bunch of people are very mad that they can't go to the Sizzler anymore. I understand. Because they have defined freedom in such a tawdry way. Because they have accepted their unfreedom everywhere else. They have accepted at a, a huge psychic cost how unfree they are. And compensated for that unfreedom by indulgence. Indulgence in things like guns. Indulgence in things like uh, the Bloomin' Onion at, uh, at Outback Steakhouse. And if they can't indulge that, all they have is that sense of unfreedom, which drives them to basically have a tantrum because they can't resolve their feelings because they haven't confronted just how unfree they are and what they could really do about it. Because they, have, they, have, they are happy for their chains because they think that the economic exploitation that undergrads their life uh, and that makes them unhappy is actually necessary. So, poor guys, they're never going to be happy doing what they're doing. They're just going to keep grabbing that gun until their fingers turn, their knuckles turn fucking uh, white. Whiter than their pasty faces. And then they're going to have a rage stroke on the toilet or something, and they're going to die, and their last thoughts will be tormented thoughts about all of the things they feared in life. So, yeah, I'm trying to draw a little chart here because at some point I honestly want to I want to get the help of some sort of animation specialist because I feel like the best way that I understand what I, I, I now think is in symbols. It's in models, but they're 3D models. And then I try to turn those models into speech and it's okay, uh, but it's already a translation and it's losing things in translation. It would be closer if it was a uh, if it was a 3D model, but I don't know how to do that kind of thing. I don't know how to do code, so I'm kind of stuck. I'm gonna need, like, when anything, I'm gonna need to reach out to other people, people who have those skills, and hopefully, if I apply myself to explaining things to them long enough, they'll get what I'm saying and be able to express it visually. Uh, so. I'm not going to be repeating myself uh, with any of the stuff I've said uh, on the show uh, because I feel like that's only going to make me more confused uh, and definitely make everyone else more confused. I feel what I'm going to keep doing is I'm just going to keep applying, applying the reasoning to specific questions. And then it will be revealed in pieces. And then that's the only way we ever understand anything. Claymation would be cool. I like claymation. I have not played Disco Elysium. I feel like now I could. Now I could do anything. I could play Ball and Cup. I could play Disco Elysium. I could play Katamari Damacy. I could even play a violent strategy game uh, or a confusing map game uh, because I wouldn't get frustrated because I would not feel the need to be anywhere else but right there playing the game.
So I honestly feel like I could play any game now. It's only a question of set of us setting up the uh, the gaming computer at our office, which I cannot replicate here because I do not have gaming equipment, and I think that the technical uh, obstacle of me trying to learn how to figure out that stuff would overwhelm any value added by convenience. It, basically, it would take too long for me to get it. We're pretty close right now. Felix is working on it. And if we could get it going, I'm going to play any game anyone wants now. I could play any game. I could even trudge around playing, uh, playing what's it called, Fortnite until I get shot 50 times. That's fine. There's a parable in that that could certainly be interesting to, to ruminate on. And I could even play a really big, complicated uh, uh, board game. The question is whether it would be too boring to watch me play it. You might not want to watch me play and have a hard time getting the hang of some of these games because I do have intellectual in, uh, problems that make it harder for me to game. Like, I have limitations as a gamer that will make it harder for me to really play in a way that you're going to want to watch. So that's just to warn you guys. I would love to be a pog champ someday, guys. That would be really fun. Universal Universalis seems interesting, but once again, I would need to find a way to do all those very micro decisions quickly, and I don't know if that would be fun to watch. I don't, uh, given Marx Marx was able to understand capital because of his own historical perspective, how do we build on what Marx was doing while existing within capital? How do we know when we're making the right moves? That's a very good question. Uh, the answer is we have to have a, an accurate reflection of what our, basically we have to remove from our thinking all clouded, all clouding elements, all prejudices and all reflexive thinking that make it harder for us to actually figure out what is happening around us, to perceive things more clearly. And this is, this is what mindfulness means in the actual praxis concept. If you are observing a reality with clear enough of a head, you can figure out what is the closest thing to the right action in any given moment, but you have to have clarity of mind to perceive it. And so that means you act on a certain thing. Like we have, we have Marxism as a guide. It only guides us so far because Marx died at, before he could know certain things. We're acting, and so in a sense, we're all experimenting. Well, when we act, things happen as a result of the action. If we are perceiving that response correctly, we know if we did the right thing or not, and we know how we should adjust it. We can respond to the stimuli positively or negatively. If we perceive it accurately, if we're not clouded by prejudice, if we're not clouded by instantaneous emotional response, and the only way to do that is to rigorously apply that logic to your actions and then to the way you process reactions. It's the only way that you can do it. And then you wheat your ideas against the stone of reality. Your spirit 
is 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 honed by exposure to uh, reality, to the material world, and the material world is then shaped by your mind. It's a perfect symmetrical relationship. So that means you have to operate off of your best good faith understanding of your own urges. If you really want socialism and you feel at your deepest level aligned with that goal, then whatever you want to do is the right decision. And if it isn't to the the thing is, I should amend that. Anything you want to do that aligns at a deepest level with your understanding, with your will, and then you do that, it will be correct to the extent that it isn't, essentially. At some point, it's wrong, and you have to figure out where that is. And so you have to do it to find out how far the rightness goes, because at some point, it will be wrong, and it will throw off a new thing. That's the dialect. And then you keep moving forward that through pressing those relationships and that dynamic. Once again, we're getting too abstract. I feel worried I'm losing people, but that's the answer to that question, is that you, ex- you, if you really please that you are operating in good faith, then you are going to be making, to some degree, the right decision, and then it's your job to see the result of that decision and then keep acting based on what you've seen. Oh, boy. I'm sorry. I don't want to freak everybody out. I don't know... Uh, I'm trying to keep this concrete so people don't tune out. So I'm going to try to not read, uh, like, high theory questions. I'm trying to get more grounded. I don't want people with butterfly nets showing up. Okay, this is an interesting question. After corona is brought to under control, will people's awareness of essential work last? Well, I mean, that's that. the answer to that will be the degree to which we resolve these... Uh, our co- the degree to which our coping mechanisms can hold, right? So there's psychic coping mechanisms. So there's we brought... If we cut people broadly into two groups of people, there's essential workers and non-essential workers, right? The essential workers are out there actively work threat risking their lives to keep society functioning the non-essential workers are home cooped up and doing their part by denying themselves pleasures so both of them are unhappy in some ways with this situation some of them are having to do too much some of them can't do enough and of course there's a wild asymmetry in their material compensation People doing essential work, some of them are compensated very well, like doctors, some are less, like nurses, and then people like delivery people and, uh, and uh, factory uh, uh, meat processing workers and grocery workers are wildly undercompensated and overexploited. Some combination of, of exploited in terms of forced to do things and, and undercompensated uh, with money. Uh, and, and so their experience of, being, of like, doing their job is made more miserable by that reality. Their lives are miserable because they are being forced to do what they don't want, what they don't think is safe, for not enough compensation. But, but that's a material condition. That's the way we've arrayed to give them money. That's the way we have decided to do this. We're not drafting people to be essential workers and, make, and paying them in script, which we could do. We could do something like that, or, or with a universal basic income, with like a work requirement, or, or like a new WPA. We could do all of that. 
but we choose because we have dominant uh, we have the dominant paradigm of capitalism. We choose to use let the market induce and not us collectively will ourselves to make a decision. And what the market's going to do is it's going to exploit and undervalue the labor that is most necessary because uh, it has to maintain power over labor. If that labor gains understanding of its influence, guess what? That's a class working on its own for itself. And that's a class able to act in its own self-interest. And that's the exact antithesis of what capitalism wants. So it'll never be allowed to happen. So those workers will remain exploited and underpaid. But they still have to work if they want to continue having a society, which they do as much as it pains them. So what do they get instead? They get our... They get our hair. We they get our thanks. They get our claps at seven o'clock. That's what they get. They get the sense of people uh, giving them credit. This is just a new reversion of what we gave to another generation of people who have had the same situation happen, which is our troops in the field. After seeing what what happened in Vietnam with the mass mass uh, movement or or with uh, with draft and with everyone facing potential violence and with like the accompanying disgust with the military because we know the military is us and so we feel disgust for our actions and so we have disgust for the military we created as a separate caste so we don't feel those things and so we can't we have no way of judging and so we instead worship but it's all because we have offloaded our pain onto them and then we give them our thanks for their service to make up for the gap so to the degree to which they can put up with that, to the degree to which the thanks for the service is enough to make up, is the degree to which they'll put up with it. Simultaneously, you have the people buttoned up inside. They have a different uh, ache. It's not about threat being threatened with uh, coronavirus, and it's not about uh, being underpaid or something, and, uh, or being forced to do work they don't, they don't think is safe. It's about not having any purpose in this, literally being unessential, not being part of the process of keeping society going, being a parasite. And there's no way to act to change that in the current system because they can't be drafted into the workforce because we're not doing that. Because since they don't need, you can't go volunteer at Kroger, you know? You can go to a food bank and something and people do that, but there cannot be like a social, you can't, no one is replacing their alienated social work time at, you know, whatever fake job they have at home with like a drafted shift at Kroger. So they're not part of the, they're not part of that collective effort to keep things going. Uh, So what they have is a lack of meaning and the way they fill that gap, because they have material comfort and they have things like that, is by doing things like clapping. The clapping serves two purposes. The clapping fills the gap in esteem, social credit, basically, for the workers, and the clapping fills the material gap of feeling like you've contributed to society's continuation for the people who are doing the clapping. The China thing is a very interesting question. The China question is a very interesting one. Uh, I've talked to Ben about how intertwined the Chinese and American economies are, uh, but that does not guarantee, I'm now, I now realize I was wrong, it does not guarantee that they won't come into conflict. Because if they come into a conflict at a different level of material specificity, uh, their deeper ties won't matter. But I would say that there is no long-term goal with most of this, I feel like, 
uh, the only people who really want to rearrange our relationship with China in the highest echelons of government are people around Trump, and they do it because he wants it, and he only wants it for fuzzy reasons he doesn't really understand, and even that, not really that hard. There, is a few crank, there are a few cranks around here. The core of, of American capital wants good relationship with China, but in this short term right now, the, the continued persistence of the bipartisan political class, not just Demo Republicans, but Democrats, depends on China being a scapegoat to some extent. Because the thing is, the Democrats say, oh, Trump is, uh, is, is underplaying, um, is putting too much on China. He's scapegoating China. It's like, yes, Trump is scapegoating China, but only a little bit more than Democrats are scapegoating China. Because Democrats, at a certain point, at a certain point, they blame China. Then at a certain point past that, they blame Trump. At no point do they blame the system that produced the outcomes of Trump being president and presiding over a destroyed and obliterated fucking health sector that is not able to respond to the crisis. So they will offload onto Trump and offload scapegoat onto China to the extent necessary to protect that understanding. Trump has an interest, a short-term political interest, that's a little more uh, to the surface, and so he needs to blame Trump. Uh, he needs to scapegoat China more and take no blame on himself because it's an existential question for his rule. For the Democrats, it's a different question, and they need to offload it all onto Trump. But it's the same dynamic. They're both protecting, at different levels, the, the foundational capitalist relationships that created a system that has given us more COVID deaths than the rest of the world. What? All, uh, all, by, by huge numbers and, 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 and no hope of being able to sustain the economic crisis this has created. Like, this was all capitalism's doing. Trump is, uh, uh, the Democrats are uh, scapegoating onto Trump to the extent that they can't scapegoat onto China without blaming Trump not enough. Like, look at their first ad. Their first ad was about how Trump is too light on China because it's an edifice of distraction from the real cause of capitalism. And once you confront that, you've undermined the entire fucking structure of, of the argument these guys are having. And you realize how insufficient it is. And you don't care that there's a Cheeto in the White House or that Joe Biden has hair plugs or whatever else weird culture war signifier you've cobbled together to replace meaning and uh, where you don't have understanding. So the thing is, is that even though there's deeper bonds between China and the, and the United States, our leadership could get so bound up in offloading the anger and, 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 and rage of the population that's going to accrue because of all the misery, unnecessary misery that COVID's going to cause. If they get to a point where it becomes either they offload, they stop offloading onto China or this country changes uh, fundamentally, they will go to war with China. They will, they will risk war with China to keep that balance. I just don't know where we are on that level. I don't think we're at that level yet, uh, but I think it's a process that can be interrupted at any time, but right now is a process that, unless it's interrupted, is going to lead towards a greater intensification of uh, misery caused by COVID and a greater need by the political class of both parties to offload responsibility on China, which creates a feedback loop that leads to short-term conflicts that can only be resolved uh, violently, i.e. war. Uh, 
There is a dang cheeto, a specter. There's a cheeto haunting the White House. The cheeto of Trump. Or no, the, there's a specter haunting the White House, the specter of a cheeto. Can any of this be solved through electoralism? Of course, to some extent. The question is, to what extent? That's why electoralism, like all of these, is not a binary question. It's how much electoralism do you do, which boils down to which elections do you do these things for? And those are questions that have to be answered by the specific material conditions of the moment that they're posed. They are not eternal answers. They can only be specific. So electoralism will solve it to a degree to be determined by our engagement with it and the world. Not in our mind right now. Not by me arguing with you on the frictionless plane of the internet. Uh, I'm trying to find my pen so I can do this, uh, this thing. I would love to be, if, if Jesse runs and he needs a press secretary, I would, God, I honestly feel now, like, honestly, real Caparino, now I'm going to be, now that I'm in the new mode and I feel like a lot of my, a lot of my burdens are off of me, I will tell the real reason that I did not pursue running for president when we joked about it earlier this year. There were things I clung to, like, it would probably, they probably would have changed the rules to not allow me, which is true. But my basic reason is I was afraid to go up there and make look, look like an idiot. I was afraid to go up there and somehow uh, look bad. It was too high of stakes for my degree of confidence in what I believed and my ability to express what I believed. Now, I would absolutely have done that. And if I, if I could have gotten even close, I would have loved it. So if I could get back in the ring now in a position like uh, secret of uh, uh, Ventura's press guy where I can get out there just a chance to be heard by a mainstream audience, I would love it. Yeah, I think we're seeing the degree with the with what the with what's happening with Me Too and the what the Democrats are willing to do with it. I think we're seeing that we're willing to go down on the Biden ship regardless of what it means electorally. Uh, they, don't, they don't have enough confidence in the process to do a switcheroo in a way that would guarantee them continued control. So they're just going to ride this out even if it means they have no chance of winning. I think that's where I am now. I think we're stuck with Biden. Which means, hey, fingers crossed, we get those debates. And they will bring him out... Uh, anybody old enough remembers in 2004 there was this conspiracy theory among libs that George Bush had some sort of wire during his debate with John Kerry that fed him answers so he didn't sound like the idiot we all knew he was and it was all based on weird ripples on the backpack and stuff uh, like this weird device that they claimed was a, was, a, was a recording instrument or a wireless mic I swear to God Joe Biden would come out there with a big lumpy suit and it would be because they'd have a car battery strapped to him. And every time he got asked a question, they'd be hitting the freaking red to red. Just have him jumping. 
But yeah, I don't think the Democrats, it's, it was such a close call to get Biden over Bernie, and Biden isn't what they wanted at all. They wanted somebody who was more credible with different demos. He was the last-ditch effort. He was the one that they reluctantly had to go around. So they're not comfortable enough, I think, and nothing has changed in the intervening time on Biden's part to make them confident enough in their control of the process to pull off a switcheroo that would leave them in charge. So they're going to stick this out. That's my claim. This is my claim. I claim, of course, that yes, we will find indeed that we'll see that he will be black. He will be back. It will be Biden. Unless he dies, unless he actually dies and they can't weekend at Bernie Sim or do CGI, he will be the nominee, which is just amazing. Amazing. Uh, Wawa Wiwa, that's all I can say. The stock market continues to rise because all it's responding to is, is the signal from the government that it will continue to intervene on its behalf. That's it. They're like, oh good, we're gonna keep they're gonna keep pumping money in. Because we know that the money goes in the top. And that means they're gonna catch pretty much all of it. And that means it doesn't matter if the rest of us get soaked, because they have gotten all of the all of the all the cash, all the spiolish. And that means that they could liquefy it and turn it into, if we do really like snap the, the rigging here of our civilization, which is not an impossibility, that they will be in a position to grasp enough liquid capital that will have value for a very short period of time <coughs> to position themselves to survive the coming collapse in New Zealand, in an underground bunker, on the moon, in a the missile silo, in the cloud... Hi guys. All right, I have here. I have a piece. I have a piece of paper. I'm trying to work out another uh, graph to might maybe explain something. Uh, art is dead, man. Yeah, I guess art is dead to the extent that you are frozen in time and can't like just break out of that. I think, I mean, art is dead to the degree there's a crisis of self-confidence among artists. The degree to which you can break through your self-awareness. You have to break through self-awareness. And you know what I think it is? Okay, here's where it is. We say art is dead. I think what's actually happening is that more and more people, thanks to the illusionary nature of the internet, like, we think of ourselves as artists. A lot of us do. A lot more people than maybe ever in history think of themselves as artists right now. Crafts people, posters think they're artists at some level. Uh, everybody who is on uh, like Twitter or Twitch has some, as a commentator, as a commenter, as a reply guy, as a podcaster, as anything. You believe yourself to be an artist. But the conditions of producing art is, are incredibly poor. All we have is the, the, the awareness that we want to be. And that paralyzes us. So people still do art. 
It's just way more people are aware that they get can do art and just are frozen and can't do it because they can't conceive of it. Or their art is poisoned by commerce because they're trying to do it in the in the capitalism. Or or it's buried by all the other meager attempts. So the same so the same spirits are being called by art. The same attempts to to hear the voice of of you know eternity are being done by art. It's just more people are trying. More people are aware, and so there's more agony associated with war. There's more angst. There's more a sense of failure. More people consider themselves failed artists. And so the whole concept is tainted. The whole concept is poison to even want to consume. And I think if people either made the choice to stop considering themselves artists and release their need for that to be part of their identity, to like, oh, it doesn't matter if I'm an artist or not, just the same way it doesn't matter if I can play tennis well or not. It's just an irrelevant quality in my life. You can either do that, or if you think it's relevant to your life, really work at it. So that's the challenge everyone should ask themselves. Is it worth it to you, and you really like settle in and like, like ask deeply to just hey do you really care about this idea or can you find meaning somewhere else or no this is a key component of my identity i need to work on it one or the other but you should ask yourself the question get as clear ahead as possible try to feel as much as possible and try to answer that question Oh man, I feel like I could do a Southland Tales episode now that would be fantastic. I would love it. Uh... Adam Friedland is a very good painter. I have to say, uh, the fact that it's also like a self-conscious copying it's he basically treats George W. Bush as if George W. Bush were a like founder of a of a artistic school and he paints in the style of him. Like like he was he's Picasso and like he was a cubist and he's doing a cubist pieces. He's doing pieces in the style of art of George W. Bush. It's amazing. He's very good. All right, guys, I'm going to try to explain one thing. It might take a half an hour here. I'm very worried about this. I'm very worried about looking bad. So you guys need to like, all right, I got an idea. We need to agree upon basically a safe word here for you guys. A emoticon, because I know you guys got these emoticons, right? The ones of you who are, who are subscribed. When I get to a point when I'm saying something and it sounds like it's not really legible or it's uh, hard to get or that I'm losing specificity of meaning, let me know and then I can pull back and either stop for a minute or figure out a more effective way of communicating. So what would be a good, like, bright, clear... uh, sign to see in the chat that I should, I should, whatever I'm doing isn't working. 
uh, what is that green one? Parody? Pizza. Maybe pizza, because pizza reminds me, of course, of the vile Pizzagate and its associated uh, crackpot conspiracy that is mostly true. All right, good. So if you guys put the pizza emote up, it means that I am off the rails. So if I see a lot of pizza, I will know that I should stop. All right. So last time when we were talking about Nathan Robinson, I talked about how Twitter makes... Don't start already. Twitter makes... Come on, guys. Give me, give me a business. Don't do me the business. Uh, how Twitter makes um, it impossible to communicate because it's anti-dialectical. It reifies two distinct arguments instead of bringing them together, which is how you get truth. Uh, and then action. And I wanted to give you guys a concrete example of that that will make it even clearer and hopefully will help you in your engagement with the world, both real in the world around you and also virtual in your head. So we've got here, I think you can see this, like yesterday, we have the, the space-time area we're trying to traverse as people, right? This is the world as it is, i.e., the shitty capitalist world. This is the world we embody. This is where our bodies and our minds are. Up here is where we're trying to get. That's the mind, place of spirit. That's the place uh, of minimal physical pain. We're trying to get to the point where we are able to live frictionlessly. We, we can live without any intervening friction from material reality. That's when we're one with God. That's the same thing as heaven. It's the same thing as nirvana. It's space-time communion. It's the oneness of the universe. It's every cliche there is for, uh, for the end state of the human spirit. Okay? Whatever that is, is defined by your culture. That's what this is. And we are, in, we are trapped in this material realm. And we're trying to get to this. And we have to traverse through space-time to get there. Now, the other day, I, I poo-pooed full automated luxury communism. I did not mean that. I was wrong in how I put that out. Fully automated communism is an inevitable and necessary step to collective enlightenment because you cannot get it to a point where people can focus their minds to achieve oneness without a frictionless physical state, which means putting off all human related misery and interaction with materials onto computers, i.e. the full subjugation of machines to human spirit. That's this. And you need that before you can get there. But So there will be a period, though, that's still working its way towards that point. Even after you get fully luxur luxury space communism. I am saying fully luxury automated space, automated communism is a stage... It's a stage to, to oneness. Okay? Does this make some sense? And so that means we're trying to traverse levels here. And this is where we have the different relationships. You got down here master-slave. From the, Then you've got uh, feudalism. Now where we are is capitalism. Right here is capitalism. The big C, this guy. He's bad. He does bad things. 
and he, but he he has an, an energy that pulls you away from moving, getting here on the on the level on the on the material level. See down here, you've got uh, like feudalism and slave societies, and we've moved through them. We're moving through them over time. So here we are. We're subjects who are stuck here. And now we're interacting with communism or with the reality of capitalism. It's making our lives shitty in specific ways. And then they form relationships of opposition to shittiness that are restrained in those certain ways. So say right here we have a conglomeration of people who collectively share the same point of identification with their misery. Okay? And we can define this grouping whatever it is, as, let's call this, at the level of abstraction, we will call this identity politics. So there's identity politics. Well, dialectically, that is going to create something else that's going to butt off of it. And now, in the more specific milieu of the internet, Now you've got another thing. Stupid Paul. Oops. We've just generated a new... An, a, a, a thesis has generated an antithesis. So they have to resolve themselves, right? Dialectically. This ID Paul and Stupid Paul have to resolve themselves. Now they would resolve themselves at the level of action in the real world over time through a dialectical process. It's not a problem. It's done by virtue of, of, the, of the friction created by applying the dialect to reality. Here, this is all online. It's frictionless, basically. So there's no force with any of the argument. It's purely intellectual. It's purely spiritual. And so that means that Instead of interrogating the material realities that led these things into being, you end up interrogating the worst faith version of the other thing. So that is why ID Paul people think that the stupid Paul folks are all Nazis who are secretly want to make everyone racist. No, some of them are, and they are referring to those people. Most of them are just people responding to the material conditions of being a white male on the internet, X, Y, Z. The same way that the identity politics people emerge from being of different ethnicities, different gender combinations on the internet at the same time. They're all contextualized by material reality that you have to address. And instead of addressing the material reality, you can address these versions on either side you address these versions. So for the ID Paul person, the, their subject, their imagined stupid Paul person is a Nazi. And like I said, some are, but not all. And the ones who aren't need to be addressed at the level of their material conditions. Same thing on stupid. The stupid Paul people look at the ID Paul people and see 
These people are liberal climbers who either because they're ideologically confused or because they have their hands out are deforming this socialist movement towards uh, liberalism. And they are, but not all of them. And the ones who aren't need to have their material conditions uh, uh, addressed. And that process of recognizing each other's material conditions moves you towards synthesis. But online, because there's no movement forward, no actual material engagement to make you do that, it's pure spiritual argument, and you can you're and in that case you are disciplined by everyone else on your side who has a neoliberal interest in standing out as more on that side than anyone else, so people will pay attention to them. All right, I didn't see that many pizzas, so I hope that made sense. Did that make any sense? All right, I, I gotta say, I was really worried that once I started drawing a shit that I was gonna get a lot more pizzas, but I didn't get that many pizzas. Phew! All right, that felt like walking on a tightrope. I'm not telling you. This is very shit. I'm honestly a little more worried doing these than I am like when we, do, when we would go on tour because I feel like I could fall from a great height at any moment. And it's not like I will feel like I'm wrong at that point. I will just feel like maybe I will have lost your... Um, I will have lost your faith, and that would have made me sad because I like interacting with you guys, and it makes me feel like I'm doing better at living my values by talking to you. So that's why I would be sad, because I would miss you. Because I, 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 I hope you... I just, I just hope I still uh, have some buy-in with you guys, and you don't, you don't think I don't completely... I'm not completely out to lunch. That's all I want, because... I want I want company in this journey because it'll make it easier for all of us. And I am not going to start a cult. I'm not Jordan Peterson. I am not um oh god, I'm not Stéphane Molinier. But for the love of criminy, uh yeah, thank you. Uh 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 I'm happy to hear that uh any of this makes sense to anybody. Ah. Uh. So, if you guys, honestly, if you guys, so, I, like I said, someone asked if, if I could repeat something. I'm not going to try to repeat specific points, but I think what you can do is, if there's something you don't understand about anything I've said, if you could grasp the specific thing that you didn't understand and, like, recapitulate it to me, ask it to me in a different way so that it's not, like, ask me to repeat the same symbolic logic step by step. Uh, I, I, I will probably be able to answer it. I mean, I will answer it to the best of my ability. That's what I will say for sure. But like, otherwise, yeah, if, if, if in the moment you don't get it, maybe go back and read it. There, all this is going to go on YouTube. What do I think of Musk calling California shutdowns fascist? 
Well, I mean, it's the same thing as always. He, it is in his uh, close interest, his close-term interest, to see business be, business done. And he is one person. He can only die once. It's highly likely, unlikely he will be the one to die of this. It's good odds to him to see business open because it will keep his short-term uh, physical body satiated with debauched pleasures. All right, see, this is where I have to... Some people, like a lot of people are asking me lately about books, and here's why I have to make another admission. I am not terribly well-read. I, like many people, have investigated ideas to the extent that I am asked to, like, think about them. And since that extent isn't very deep in most web culture, I have not done a lot of the reading that a lot of people assume I have. Uh, but I definitely feel like I could read any of the, you know, great books of liter and have reading them be useful because I will be able to engage with it and produce from the engagement, which is really all you need. Like when people say, can I read a book? Will it be too boring? It's really a question of, will you find it worthwhile to express the energy necessary to understand it? Because that's the thing. It all is understandable with sufficient energy and concentration placed on the act of understanding it. Some things, it's not worth it, is the thing. You have to make choices. And uh, I think I would find worth in a lot of things. So honestly, at this point, I'm asking for book recs. Things that people want to throw at me that I could maybe use to hone. Because I feel like I don't have enough experience with a lot of these books. I feel like I have an intuitive understanding now of their premises, but I would need to read them to really get it. And so I wouldn't want to recommend books. I would want others to recommend books to me. Like the first one I'm going to try to read is Ulysses because that a book that I that was the first book I thought of. That was the first symbol that occurred to me, like the first artistic symbol that occurred to me after I had my experience. So, I'm still committed to reading that first. And uh I had to finish some research for a project I was doing uh I'm doing an inebriated past about Upton Sinclair uh in the 1934 California Senate race. So, once that's done though, I'm getting into uh Ulysses. And after that, we'll see. That's why I'll be taking uh, suggestions. All right, guys. I'm not... Oh, okay. I'm going to be on for about five more minutes. Uh, this has been pretty good. I feel like I actually got something across... Uh, I didn't. I didn't hear uh, Napoleon the the sixteenth. They're coming to take me away. Fill the fill the air around me. So that's good. I feel like I still have buy in from most of you. So uh, I'll feel good about that. Uh, I'll maybe take a few more questions. Uh, the really. Um, I realize that the key to understanding any piece of literature or history or philosophy is I think we all approach any discrete object seeking our uh, our belief intellectually 
as we have it to make it, it has to convince us. Like we have to look at a book, we have to look at an idea, we have to look at a, a movie or whatever, any an expression of culture. Uh, but in the, and then and then an ideology coming from that. We look at those things, and we look at them to convince us from a state of not believing them to believing them. And I think it's easier if you imagine the fact, the reality, just acknowledge the reality that all things are true and false. Every proposition, every concept is true or false and false at some time and place. And if you say, if you think that way, what it means is when you approach a book or an idea or a concept, you assume that it's right and then you try to convince yourself it's not. So you meet it at the beginning and you tr and eventually you will fail or you will succeed. But you should start from the premise that it's right. Yeah, I just feel the sense like I feel vibrant right now. I feel like I'm really touching more of the elephant than I ever have before. It really does feel like a different... Everything feels different. Nothing, I'm not scared anymore. I realize what fear is now. Zenny Jardine is very humorous. At this point, I, uh, I, I find bad people funny. That's the only way to do it. You've got, because if you can't carry uh, resentment, so you have to transfer even evil into a good to you so it's got to be funny but it's you still work against it but she is very she is wacky that lady man it is amazing i i am very interested to see how how feminism responds to the destruction of me too like the absolute death of me too this is a thing that i don't think anyone can recognize can say no to like i think a lot of the reason that a lot of the high-level media feminists felt, of course, after Bernie dropped out, not before, that they could say, this sucks, this is awful, is because they realized that they've lost a powerful tool. They've lost a rhetorical cudgel. They've lost a disciplining device. It was more than that to other people, but to them, that's what it was. And they've lost it now, and they, and they had to give it up to, for the greater good for the, uh, in their mind of stopping Sanders, but it was the trade-off, and they have to accept that. Just like the party apparatchiks who would love to be in the, in the cabinet or, uh, you know, the chief of staff are going to have to realize that they're probably going to lose. And they're not going to get that, but that's the price they pay too. They, get, they, they have to pay the price of not getting those jobs. But it's the, what they're willing to give up rather than roll the dice. Like a lot of those people, think about this. Everybody who resisted Sanders could have just taken him in. They could have just dropped their swords and said, Bernie, we love you. What would he have done? How would he have fought them? And then they give him the nomination by acclamation. They could have done that. It would have been a little hard. They would have had to work against the propaganda they'd inculcated into their own, uh, their own voters, but they could have done it. The reason they didn't do that is because they were, didn't have the confidence that they would have been able to hold on to power in that arrangement. So Bernie had to be defeated. With Bernie defeated, they have complete control of the organization 
So that means that it doesn't matter if they win or lose. And if you're part, if you're invested, if you're a feminist who's invested enough in the Democratic Party, if you're welded to it at a deep enough root point, then you have to go along with that. There's nowhere else to go. You have been, you've been lashed to the whale. I'm sorry. Iron law of institutions, exactly. Of course, that band of the Wisconsin tells Tommy Bartlett's uh, uh, Thrill Zone and Explore Robot World and Exploratorium. Wisconsin, uh, the, the, the Noah's Ark, America's largest water park. Will there be an armed conflict in the next 20 years? I would say there could be. Obviously, with any possibility, there's, all, there's always a percentage likelihood it could happen. I would say there is a larger than, larger than you would, I would say more than, I'd say 25% chance. And that chance could go up or down depending on what happens in the future. And I don't know yet. There's still too many fracture points coming. A big one's going to be whether Trump or Bernie win, uh, Biden wins. Because I got to say, man, I've been thinking about, I'm going to say this on the stream about, uh, I got to go, I got to go in a minute, but I'm going to say this, I'm going to, I'm going to elaborate on this a little bit in my Upton Sinclair thing, but I've got, sort of refined my understanding of the, di of the dynamic that led the uh, Republican Party to become reactionary and racist and the Democratic Party, Democratic Party to be anti-racist and the question of whether or not the Republican Party could become like a, uh, a racist social democracy party or whether the forces are behind it will allow that. I think I know the answer. And so the, uh, something like who's going to win the election is going to determine that. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's worth thinking about, though. Uh, all right, guys. I'll see you. Peace and chicken grease.